Good morning. Today is Thursday, August 19th, 2021. There is a concept in Jewish thought known as Gilgal, which means reincarnation. And it is the idea that a person can live their life in this world, which of course, life in this world is when my guf, my physical body, is connected to my neshama, my soul. What we refer to as a person passing away, the moment of death, is the separation of that body and soul. The neshama lives forever. The soul lives forever. And Gilgal means that that soul might be born again into a new body having a new physical life. So it is a new physical body, a new physical identity, but the neshama has already been through this once. It has been megalgel. It has rolled through the cycle. It's not its first rodeo. <clears throat> now, this is an unfamiliar concept to many people. In fact, many people, when they hear about it, think that it is a distinctly non-Jewish concept, having no place within Judaism. So the first thing I do want to do is I just want to clarify, because there are three separate um, concepts or phenomenon that sometimes are confused. One is olam haba, which means the world to come. Olam haba means what is the experience of the neshama, the soul, after death. And that is a purely spiritual phenomenon. We understand that it relates to holding the soul accountable for its actions while it was connected to its body on earth. That's olam haba. That's what happens to the soul after a person's body passes away. Then there's another concept called triasamesim, which means the dead coming back to life. So this is a belief that those people or some of those people who have passed away, so that means the body and the soul has separated, the body is placed back into the ground from where it comes through the process of burial, but that body will come back to life. That is the soul, the neshama, will rejoin that body. The, the, the original team will come back together and live a physical life. So this is about the neshama coming back to physical life in this world. That belief is one of the Yud Gimel Ikrim, one of the 13 fundamental principles of belief according to the Rambam. That is a normative Jewish belief. And then there is Gilgal, which is a spiritual phenomenon, which relates to the soul coming back, but not to the same body, coming back to a different body. Now, this concept of Gilgal is nowhere mentioned clearly in the Torah. It is not mentioned in the Gemara. It's not in the Talmud. It's not mentioned in the Rambam, Maimonides. And many authorities believe it is simply not true, that it is not an authentic Jewish belief. It does not happen. Rav Sad Yagon, Sefer Hoikarim, Rabbi Albo, 
and others simply reject that there is such a thing as a Jewish phenomenon. But <clears throat> at the same time, there are many great scholars who assert that it is true. And not only that it is true, but that it is fundamental to, to Judaism and to life. And we'll discuss that in a moment. We see these sources, for example, in Sefer HaZohar, the book of the Zohar, which is the main text of Kabbalah Jewish mysticism, the Sefer Rakanti, the Ramban Nachmanides. So, as you should be able to tell from the list, more towards the mystical side of things, and then later more within the Hasidic side of things, which adopted this mystical approach. But still, there is no clear mention of it in any classical source like the Torah or the Talmud. However, if you do assert that it is a concept, that it is true, that it does happen, a, an allusion to it would be, for example, a mitzvah in this week's Parsha. A very strange mitzvah in this week's Parsha, the mitzvah of Yibum which means leveret marriage. And basically what the Torah says as follows. If a man and a woman are married and the man has never had any children and the man dies, God forbid, and leaves no children, it is a mitzvah for the widow to continue the marriage that she had with her husband to continue it with her husband's brother if he is willing and she is willing. And that's known as leveret marriage. The word lever is Latin for brother-in-law. So it means normally, under normal circumstances, let's say if the, the, the first husband and, and the wife were married and they had children, the wife is not allowed to marry her brother-in-law. That is an impermissible relationship. Even after the husband passes away, she's not allowed to marry that brother-in-law. It remains forbidden to her forever. But in the narrow context where the mitzvah of Yibum applies, it is a mitzvah to continue the marriage with this brother-in-law. If the brother-in-law is not willing to do this. I'll just take the simple case. Then there is a ceremony called chalitza that is a parallel to a divorce ceremony, which will then free the widow to have no connection to this brother-in-law and then be free to marry anybody else. The ceremony of chalitza is very, very strange. It involves some elements that are very hard to understand. It involves this woman spitting on the ground in front of her former brother-in-law. And it involves this woman removing a shoe that he is wearing. Just two bizarre actions 
And the Torah, of course, doesn't provide any explanation of why these actions are part of this ritual, but this is a necessary ceremony in this kind of a case where couple are married, husband dies with no children, there is a brother. If there would be no brother, there would be no mitzvah, but if there is a brother, and then the couple goes through the ceremony of chalitza. What's going on with this mitzvah? Let's just talk about the mitzvah of Yibam for, to begin with. What's going on with this? First of all, let me just be clear. Nobody is coerced. It's only if the, the widow and the brother-in-law want to be married to each other. We never coerce marriages. Never, ever, ever. If you ever heard of something where it sounded like a marriage was being coerced within Judaism, either we're misunderstanding it or it's a violation of Judaism. So they have to both be willing. But what's going on here? So around Shavuot's time, you may remember I discussed this mitzvah in a very different context. I discussed it within the context of social policy. Here is a woman who had been married, but she now has no children from her husband who's now passed away. In a certain sense, she doesn't have a continuing ongoing contact with her husband's family. There are no children to bind her to them. She has already left her father's house by getting married. And so this is a mitzvah that if, if, if this woman feels vulnerable, feels that she needs to be helped in life, that she needs assistance, that she needs a companion, this is a way for the brother-in-law to do this mitzvah to take care of her. Again, only if she wants it, only if he wants it, but it is a mitzvah within the category of social policy to make sure that a woman who might possibly be vulnerable in life, that she's taken care of. Okay, we discussed that before. But the Gilgal angle of this is very different. And here's what it means. It means you have a man, a body and a neshama, a soul. Man is married. The man dies without having children. This man has died without being able to fulfill one of the great fulfillments in life. Of course, not everybody is able to fulfill the, 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 the mitzvah and the opportunity to have children, but it is one of the great fulfillments in life. And this man died, so to speak, before his time. So what God arranges is, if this woman will marry her former brother-in-law, her husband's brother, the baby that will be born to them will receive through Gilgal the neshama of her husband that died. In other words, it gives a chance for her husband who died to have his neshama come back born into another person. This child could be a boy, could be a girl. But his neshama is given this second chance. And that's why there is a mitzvah because of the opportunity of Gilgal. And that would explain, according to some authorities, that would explain the ceremony of chalitza if it does not happen. Because let's just take the case where the, the brother-in-law says, I don't want to do it. For whatever reason, doesn't matter what the reason is, I don't want to do it could be a valid reason, could it be an invalid reason, it could be a selfish reason, it could be, it doesn't matter. 
But in essence, by declining to carry on the marriage with his sister-in-law, he is preventing his brother's neshama from coming back into a Gilgal of another person. In other words, in a certain sense, not in a literal sense, but in a symbolic sense or a metaphoric sense, he is preventing, he's causing the loss of the potential life of the neshama that it would have the chance to come back to life. And therefore, that causes, in a certain sense, a type of mourning. And a person removing their shoe is a symbol of mourning. When we sit Shiva, God forbid, the mourners take off their shoes. It's a sign of mourning. And so the, the woman removes this shoe that, that the brother-in-law is wearing and it makes the statement from a Gilgal point of view, it makes the statement, you are kind of causing another mourning. There was an opportunity for my husband's neshama to come back into a baby that we would have given birth to and you have taken that opportunity away. You have caused, in a certain sense, this mourning. Okay. Maybe it is true. Maybe it's not true. If you believe that it is true, that it is an authentic aspect of Judaism, why? Why does it happen? What, what is God's plan in all of this? So, the again, the more Kabbalistic scholars have several suggestions. Number one, it could be to allow a neshama that lived its life joined with a body, but left, died with some unfinished task, like the first husband who died without having the opportunity to have children. The neshama comes back, and now the neshama is able to live a full life and maybe to be able to have children of its own, his or her own, to be able to fulfill a task that the first life did not afford. Or suggestions are made that maybe it comes to allow the neshama to fix a fault that had existed in the previous life. Perhaps you had a person who was generally a righteous person, but there was one terrible sin. And perhaps God in his kindness will allow, instead of just judging the person for holding accountable for the sin that they committed, in God's kindness may allow that neshama to come back into a new body specifically for the purpose of being able to fix up that sin. Kabbalistic sources go back to the story of Hevel, Cain and Hevel, and Hevel, who was a shepherd, had done something wrong. And sources say that Moshe, Moses, was a Gilgal of Hevel. In other words, the Neshama of Hevel lived his life. He died. He had done something wrong. And God, in his mercy, allowed Hevel's Neshama to be born into this baby who we then called Moshe, and Moshe, through his superb action, fixed the mistake, corrected the mistake that had been made in the earlier lifetime. Or another suggestion, very interesting suggestion, is to serve a specific purpose. So Kabbalistic sources tell the following story, that when David was born, 
the original decree of God, David, who became David Amela, King David, the original decree is that he was supposed to die in childbirth. That was what God's original plan was. He was going to die in childbirth. Imagine what would have happened to Jewish history if David Amelech had died in childhood. Adam, Adam, the first man, knew, and, and again, I don't even understand the meaning of the terms that I'm telling you, knew in a prophecy, somehow knew, was aware that this was going to happen thousands of years later to this great person, and it would be a tremendous loss. Adam was supposed to live 1,000 years. Adam said to God, Master of the universe, I want you to take 70 years from my life. Shorten my life. Give them to David. I'll be happy to live 930 years. David will have 70 years. He'll be able to become the king of Israel. He'll be able to help build the base of Migdash, to write to Hillam, all the things that David achieved. And that is what happened. Adam lived 930 years. David lived 70 years. And the idea is that David was the Gilgal of Adam. Adam's neshama, after he died, was then reborn into David, and it then had that juice for 70 years to accomplish. Okay. So, however you understand it, whether you agree or you disagree, it has little practical consequence. Presumably, you don't know if you are a Gilgal of somebody else. Presumably, David did not know that he was a Gilgal of Adam. Um... Though, I have to tell you, there are some people who do make this claim. And this is more frequent within the Hasidic world. You'll hear, someone is a Gilgal of somebody else. This Rebbe is a Gilgal of David, of, of David Amelech. This person is a Gilgal of Moshe Rabbeinu, is a Gilgal of Rabbi Akiva. Of course, you can't disprove it. You can't prove it, but you can't disprove it. Okay, fine. But it really doesn't make any difference in a person's life. I mean, you are or you aren't, but I mean, you still have to live your life. It doesn't... Um, Kabbalistic scholars do use the concept as a method of interpretation. So, for example, if there are passages in the Torah where one person does something, and then in a different era, another person does something similar, sometimes... Kabbalistic scholars will understand that that second person was a Gilgal of the first person. So they acted in a similar manner or maybe in an opposite manner because their neshama actually was a Gilgal from the earlier life. Okay, fine. But there is one major consequence that is available to every one of us. And it is definitely true. I cannot tell you with certainty that the whole idea of Gilgal is true. But the concept that it conveys is definitely true, whether it comes from here or not. But here's a consequence. The consequence is how we look at life. It reminds us that we are not able to see the very begin, the very beginning and the very ending of life. We see a little piece. We see this little slice from the time the Neshama joins the goof and the baby starts crying till the time the Neshama leaves the goof and a person takes their last breath. 
But that's just a little piece. There's a whole lot that goes on before, and there's a whole lot that goes on after. We may not be clear about all that goes on before or after, but it is eternal. It's forever. There's lots of other stuff. We're looking at just the smallest, smallest slice. And therefore, we have to be quite humble when we think to evaluate the quality of the little piece that we see and we may judge it very good or very bad, very compassionate or very unfair. Yes, of course, we have the right to look at what our experience is. But we do have to have the humility to recognize we are still seeing only a very small piece. One of the situations in which this idea is invoked is, God forbid, the death of a child. A child who is pure, who has no sin. How can a child pass away? So let me be very, very clear. We have no answer to that question. And what I'm saying here is not intended to be any kind of answer to that question. Our rabbis make several suggestions that are contradictory to each other, which I believe means to tell us that we do not know. God has set up this wor world in a way that we are not given that information. And we're not going to get that information. So whoever thinks they have an answer, they're automatically wrong. We do not know. God does not want us to know an answer to why terrible things happen to completely undeserving person. And when something, God forbid, happens to a person... It would be terrible. It is a sin to even attempt to try to explain or excuse or rationalize or give reasoning. It is wrong to do that. The only thing to do is to sit and to hold a person and to cry along with them. Anything else is wrong. At the same time, stepping back from the immediate encounter with such a tragic event, a Gilgal perspective may have an interesting insight. If the purpose of Gilgal is to complete a task, maybe a person lived a life and they achieved almost all that God had in mind for them, and maybe there was one thing missing. And their life came to an end. And their neshama comes before God. And God says, I'm going to give you another chance. But you only need a chance to fix that one thing. As soon as you fix that one thing, your mission is fulfilled. Your purpose of being reborn is finished. And so a person may come back in another body. And that person may fulfill that task, perhaps at a very, very early age. And then God says, now I can accept this neshama as a pure, perfect being, having fulfilled all of its mission. Of course, to us, it would be tragic. But from the point of view of the neshama, it's a triumph. We don't know if this is true. And it is certainly not an answer, not a complete answer to this 
problem of tzaddik varalo, of how it can be that the righteous unjustly suffer in this world, to which we do not have an answer. But it can be a different way of looking at life. So I want to tell you a story. In the late 1700s, there was a famous Ger Tzedek, a righteous convert. And he was known as the Graf, the Graf of Vilna. And the story goes like this. This non-Jewish young man was the son of a famous Rush, uh, Polish count, Count Pataki. That was his name. And the son was a noble lad. And the son somehow wanted to convert to Judaism, which is the most unbelievable thing because, as you can understand, first of all, his father, the count, was busy persecuting Jews and everyone else was busy persecuting Jews in the 1700s in Poland. Certainly was not a desirable group to belong to at that time, but he somehow managed to convert to Judaism. Problem was, he wanted to come back to Vilna, to Lithuania. And the problem with that was, in Poland, conversion to Judaism was a capital crime. He came back, he tried to keep it hidden, but eventually he became found out. He was arrested by the authorities. They gave him the choice either to renounce his Judaism or to be executed. He chose to be executed. There's a famous story that on the night before his execution, the Vilna Gon, Rabbi Elio of Vilna, the great Vilna Gon, came to visit him and cried with him and spoke to him and tried to console him. And then on the second day of Shavuos in the year 1749, the Graf was executed by the Polish government. And he was buried next to the Vilna Gon. Can you imagine the greatest scholar of the entire generation and the Graf, this righteous convert, was buried beside him. It's an incredible story. Let's move forward 200 years to the late 1900s in Yerushalayim, where one of the greatest scholars, both in terms of learning and in terms of sensitivity, is Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach. I've told you many stories about him. Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach once went to visit a shiva home where the family was mourning the passing of a one-year-old child. He came into the house. He sat down. He began to cry. The family was crying. He sat silent. Finally, the mother said to him, Rebbe, what was the point of such a short life? Why would God put us through that? What's the point? 
Rishlom Zaman Orbach, and it's only Rishlom Zaman Orbach who could say this, who would say this. Rishlom Zaman Orbach told this woman, this distraught woman, he told her the story of the graph. And he said to her, your child was the Gilgal of the graph. Because the graph observed the entire Torah. When he converted to Judaism, he was righteous, he was scholarly, observed every mitzvah in the Torah except for one. There's one thing he was not able to fulfill. One thing he could not achieve. Horasa v'leidasa b'kdusha. The graf did not have the opportunity to be born from a Jewish mother. So no matter how perfect the graf was in his life, there was one thing that he lacked. And God was compassionate to the graf. And God gave the graf the opportunity to come back to be rejoined to a physical body, but just to fulfill that one last imperfection. And as soon as he was born of a Jewish mother, his neshama was perfect and his life was complete. I can't tell you with certainty that it's true, but that is a worldview where Gilgal reminds us that there is much more to life than what we see. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.